be fair, I don't. I wouldn't say you want to be. You don't want to be like this person that everybody hates, right? But I don't think you need to be the person that everybody loves either, right? Like I think there's a difference. One, it'll take time to get people to really, really like you, but they may like you in different ways, whether it's through these events or more important for me, like doing pleasant transactions together, right? That's that's a great way to earn a lot of respect. How do you handle the, the transaction together? So the clients are the ones that ultimately do it, right? Like I can be best friends with everybody, but if I have no clients, I'll bring money to the table to buy a home or sell a house, and they sure don't want to talk to me either, right? So at the end of the day, like our goal is to be like matchmakers, and so. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today we have Spencer Sue on the show, and this is a man who in his third year did $70 million of production in one year. Just so you guys know, that's somewhere between $1.4 and $2 million of income. And so, Spencer, I mean, that's a pretty big number. That was just you. That wasn't with some 400-agent team. Tell us, how'd you, how'd you make that happen? Yeah, no, I'm delighted to be on the show, and I, I hope to be able to help a lot of people through this podcast, at least sharing the information and the knowledge that I've been able to gain. Um, it wasn't anything crazy, to be fair, but it was it was a, it was a matter of just being disciplined of what was important and what were things that I needed to focus on to improve either my conversion or to get additional sources of business, right? And it was just an accumulation of things. So it was a combination of time combination of making sure you're putting in the work every single day and um and being fortunate to be trusted by a lot of people and so yes i'm very fortunate within my third year of being a licensed agent uh, i was able to hit that milestone and um and it's just through focus that's the key cool and so obviously the focus had to go somewhere so break it down what were you focusing on and what what was your daily activity like so the focus, it boils down to first of like what the day looks like. And everybody's day should look fairly similar, even though there are things that come up. There are also a lot of time periods that you can absolutely block off for key things. So what are the things to block off? Mornings are always uninterrupted. I don't, I don't, I didn't, I'm not doing this recording in the morning for a reason, right? I want my mornings protected of my own outreach, my own um, outbound activity, my connecting with past clients, just having communication, right? That's very important. And the afternoons are then with all these different meetings. It could be meetings with the public, could be with clients, could be meeting new people, could be strategy calls, it could be attending other events. It could be, in my case, I have a team, so it's teaching and leading a team. But at the end of the day, if you still want to do production, you still got to have focused attention on generating appointments, generating showings and these these very important key things that, that ultimately move the needle. Absolutely. And so when you're talking about outbound, what did your outbound look like? What sources were you calling? Yeah, so most of my outbound is a combination of things. It's a lot of just following up, to be fair, right? Not everybody is available every week. Not everybody wants to work with you at any, any specific time but just following up of the appropriate cadence, whether it's every week, every month, every 90 days, just depending on where was your last conversation with the individual and what are things that you can do to add value or, or help people understand like how you can help them or what the market is doing. So 
the sources are also very different. It can be in a variety of different ways. It could be through um, my sphere. Those are always the best referrals. It could be through my online video content. So I do a lot of content on YouTube. People find me that way. It's through paid sources, right? So paid sources could be Zillow, Rose.com, PPC uh, ads. And then last but not least, it could be people that you met through an open house. The idea though, there's like this kind of pond of leads that all need to be either nurtured or follow up with, with a separate cadence, depending on who, who has your priority of attention. And as you can see, the discipline is also of like, if you have a hundred people, not all hundred people deserve your attention tomorrow. Maybe only 15 of them do. The others can wait a little bit. It's okay to wait. But if you don't have that organized of who are those 15 out of the hundred, then you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your client disservice, and you have a lot of potential leakage for that reason. Totally. So in the year that you did 70 million, you're generating all the leads, you're doing all the follow-up, you're doing all the agent work, you're doing everything. As an agent, I am. Now I do leverage my time of like having support staff, right? So I have an inside sales agent that helps me set up appointments or to follow up with people that kind of ghosted me or like disappeared. So maybe they can bring some up there, right? Number two, I have like a, a, a local admin. So they may do transaction coordination work, kind of these kind of backend things. But for a long time, it was pretty still very lean from that. I did hire eventually a, at that point, a marketing person to do the marketing, the content, but from an agent production of like disclosures, review and offers and main follow-up is it was still me at that, at that stage. Got it. When did you, when in that journey, um, did you start doing online content? I started doing online content. Um, so I've been, I've been a licensed realtor now for a little under four and a half years. I started doing online content really when COVID started 2020, I guess. Yeah. March 2020, something like that. Tell us about that journey. Like what's, what's, the daily activity of that look like? What's the progression, the results? Yeah. So online content is used in a variety of different ways. So you can use it for YouTube and there's different formats and different things to learn about that. It can also be used for your social media pages. It could be used for your newsletters, right? Like there's all sorts of different ways to distribute the same thing that you just did. Um, in terms of time, like I'm fortunate now, I don't have to do much of it myself per se of like edits and knowing what to title and thumbnails to put and things like that. So now I, I actually outsource it. But before in the beginning, you're just trying to figure it out and you're just trying to grow an audience and trying to see what sticks and what works. So in the beginning, all of it was on me because I got to figure it out. And then once you're like, all right, I think this can be offloaded to somebody. And then at that point, then it was time to like, offloaded to somebody to start either doing the editing. The editing takes the most time. And then after that, it could be the, the thumbnail and title, right? Um, and then eventually it could be also part of like what you wanted to say. So like the scripting of things. As you can see, those are all things that can, that can be outsourced up to the individual. Um, but those eventually got outsourced too. So now I just do mostly just a video shooting of it, which um, isn't as much... Uh, time as all the other components that are that are for a video 
What does your marketing budget look like and how much do you estimate the, the GCI or the return on that spend is? Are you referring to YouTube or just in general as a sum? Uh, maybe let's do YouTube and then break it out as a, as a sum. Well, YouTube, the budget is the creating of the content. Just editing, right? Yeah, it's just editing. So it's it's not a lot. Like maybe an edit is $50 per video if you use someone on Fiverr, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit harder to see now just because I have somebody that I pay a marketing person for it. Uh, but she also does other things. But high-level edits, maybe fifty to hundred dollars per video. You may do four to eight videos a month. So two hundred to four hundred bucks a month. Yeah, which then is like let's say ten grand or something a year. Now, of course, you can do more higher-end ones, right? You can hire a videographer. So I just I still do that. Those would be for listings. Those may be for more grander, like tours of new construction or tours of like cities like so there that is more much more so that would be let's say 600 plus per video but you wouldn't do that every week anyways so i would say total maybe like let's say 20 30k and what would you say the estimated uh amount of revenue that comes in from that channel uh for me youtube has been about 10 to 15 percent of my business Hmm. So if you're looking at like a GCI 1.4 or around there, it's been about 10%, 10 to 15% of the business. So, so you, people can do kind of do the math breakdown that way. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're spending 20 to 30 grand and you're getting $150,000, I mean, that's, I mean, you're sitting around 10 to 20% of your budget. Like a, For that. Yeah. You're getting like a, you know, five to 10 X return. Which is, which is, has been very good. Now, the the difference though for people to be mindful of like it, it's it's not like it maybe it could be it's not like I can just say I, I want to put four x in it and then now I'm going to get four x top right like because then I'll have to be posting from two videos a week to now eight videos a week so I don't, I don't know if you can like scale it that well obviously you can do better videos uh, and that's always a thing to keep improving on and that keeps kind of growing right so. Um, but yeah, I mean, the return, uh, can be good if you're able to really understand it and be able to do it for a while. It's not a, it's not a short-term thing by any, any chance, uh, any imagination, but, um, it certainly can be very powerful. And I know a lot of other markets have done it very, very well. Yeah. What's your favorite lead source of all your lead sources to work? I would say two things, right? Like and a little bit different, but I like, I like them equally. It's one the from social media, if someone like reaches out to you or they have a, like they, you're, you're connected with them and they have a friend that they reach, they introduce you to. Those are always like the biggest compliments when you get referred and they're referred because of like those reasons, like they may have continued to passively see what you've been doing. And they to say like, you got to talk to this person and, and here's an intro. Those are always the most like heartfelt to be fair. And then the second is certainly YouTube because they have been watching you for a long time. So they feel like they know you and they have some level of trust. Now, make no mistake, it's not a 100% conversion rate either. It, is, it gives you the the ability to have a conversation. Just like if you do like farming, you have the ability to have the opportunity to do an interview. But then you still got to earn their trust, earn their, earn their business. But it's a whole lot easier than somebody that did a, a PPC 
like they just were browsing for some homes and they have no idea who you are and you have no idea who they are either. Yeah. Well, there's also like a validation of you, right? I mean, if it's a social media or YouTube, like they're literally seeing, they like you. And so there's like right. probably some internal. You're on a short list. Yeah, yeah. You're on a little bit of a short list, but it would be, it would be very similar if you think about it, like to farming, like mm -hmm. they saw a bunch of your postcards, but now they have a bunch of people's postcards. So they'll be like, all right, here are the ones I got. I'm going to interview these three, but at least you're, you're in a, you have some decent odds. Yeah. So in your third year, you did, you know, 70 million in production, probably over a million dollar net. And so when you're looking, when you're looking at that, I mean, you're not like an old guy, right? Netting a million dollars. Like what, how does that impact your life? It's been, um, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like I think it's important to be mindful. Like we were in a very, very good time in terms of general markets, in terms of transaction volume. So it definitely had improved my life tremendously. I mean, there's uh, certainly some finer things in life that we wouldn't usually have, whether nice watches or nice purses for the wife or a little bit more lavish vacations than before. Uh, we certainly got a really nice house last year too. But even then, we're not like overindulging ourselves, right? Because we're still, we still have money to then invest in property, invest in the markets, um, so invest in the business. That's also the opportunity cost, right? So it just allows more freedom. Like the more money you make, the more you have, the, the least you need to worry about like these kind of necessities, but which then opens up part of the podcast, right? It opens up the freedom to now be more exposed for a lot of things. You're not like paycheck to paycheck and really struggling. Yeah. So, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you, you make over a million, like some people can make over a million and they still spend it all. Right. So it's still key to like save it, invest it and not go crazy uh, on it. Don't go buy a $4 million house all of a sudden. Right. Um, so it allowed that. And then, which then ultimately allowed my network to also change. Right. Like, my production and my income is, uh, is, is very, very good. And uh, even though I'm in the Bay Area, there's some level of respect that other people can also provide to you and give to you too, which is a really, really fun to have conversations wise. Like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of at this quote unquote level of some, some other people that are also doing very well in life. So I think uh, that's also a very, very powerful thing because I'm ultimately trying to like level up myself of like the different circles. How can I add value to these uh, other high net worth individuals per se. And just that's always a, a climbing of a ladder. Absolutely. And and there's just so many things that can happen as it's not just the money. I mean, it's usually the skill set that had to go from here to here is what allows you to be a value. So are you, I kind of find that agents typically fall one of two categories. There's the agents that do it because they love it so much that they'll be an agent till they die. And then there's the agents that like, Hey, I like this. But really, this is just a, a great business model. And they do that until they create enough passive income to do something else. Where do you think you fall on that? Good question. Um, I would probably say, to be fair, the first. And here's a, here's a rationale why. We are in a very fortunate job, industry, sector than a lot of other businesses or a lot of other people have. And you never want to take it for granted how long this may last, right? And so because of that mentality right now, it's like I'm in the build, build, build and just grow, grow, grow kind of mentality of individual production. How do you keep leveling up? How do you get better? 
but also as I built my like team of other agents, how do we also get them to to improve and, and, and change their life too? But to be fair, we don't know how long this may be. Like we've kind of already seen a little bit of a glimpse of like the last seven, eight months. It's been not good for a lot of people, right? Um, transaction volume is down big time, 30, 40%. And if you're a realtor, you're like, you're just waiting for something to really change. Then you'll be like those same buyers that are feeling the same way, which is not good. That's not how you want to think about it now. The way you want to think about it is like, this is the new normal and this is back to normal. So what do you have to do to reassess like your skills, your ability, your structure? Like those are all very, very important business decisions to do. Otherwise you'll go bankrupt very soon. So um, that's kind of the key because at the end of the day, like I'm not, the money's not just sitting idling. The money is being invested, right? It could be invested into your own business, which has a specific ROI. Or it can be invested into just plenty of other passive things. And there's all sorts of things you can invest in. There's no, there's no shortage of investors taking your money. Right. Right. So, um, so that's still ongoing, but you got to keep building this nest egg. 100%. Yeah. So, so you're at this grinding away. Now, as the market shifted, not only does that make an impact on you as, a, as the leader, but also on your people. So can you talk to us? For a lot of team leaders, getting a successful in production like was just a normal part of life, right? You work hard, you make you make success. Bringing on agents is not necessarily the same. Like you teach them exactly what you did, they don't always do it. Tell us how has the team building journey been like for you? It has been um, hellish, and it's that way because for whatever reason, maybe I'm not unique on this, but for whatever reason, I felt like. You know, if I do 70 million production and I'm adding a few people and they're adding, you know, a couple per, couple transactions a year or something, then I can do 100 million plus just by that math, that logic, right? But that's not entirely the case. And there's a few things about it. Number one, your own attention is now split, right? You're spending more time educating them, training them babysitting them, hand-holding them, being part of their calls, right? Having weekly meetings, even mental states of like thinking about it versus thinking about your own clients. So typically what happens is that you actually have a pullback. You actually slow down and your overall numbers may actually be worse because you're not, you're, you're going back. You don't have the same momentum of all this being really focused, you're actually divided into two things. You're doing your individual and then you're doing your growth of teams, which has its own cycle. So because of that, it's been a crazy big grind. Like I can work way less and probably have earned a whole lot more money last year than me having a bigger team. And so it depends on your goals though, right? Like if you're really trying to maximize like your profits and net, then do not grow a team. Just stay lean. There's many ways to stay lean. There's still many ways to just scale from a support perspective and kind of assistant perspective. But then I find like, look, it'll be an interesting challenge. I, I'm not like hurting for cash anyways. It'll be an interesting challenge, but it'll be an interesting opportunity because this over a longer period can do a little bit better, can, should be able to do better. Uh, so that's the approach that I'm, I'm able to have. And that's the vision that I have. But it's by make, uh, make no mistake, it's not been... Um, easy and there's a reason why it's uh they call it the messy middle 
right? And there's no way to get through the messy middle other than just grinding it out. Totally. So what do you think? Hopefully you get big enough that you get out of the messy middle. 100%. But otherwise you're going to be stuck in this kind of sludge until then. I call it the adolescent phase. Um, And and so the big challenge, is it getting agents to join you or is it once agents join you, getting them to do the same amount of work that you are willing to do? I think it's always both, right? Like recruiting never ends unless you have this incredible presence that people are calling upon you. But that's not easy too, right? Just think about think about this, right? Like on my YouTube channel, it's more about gearing buyers to buyers and sellers to find me and work with me. Now I can do something similar of that, whether it's like a podcast like this, it could be video content, different things, but that has its own now funnel and own process and their own time commitment to it. So attraction is always uh, not the easiest. And you also have to get your message out consistently, right? You may be spending all this time on doing all this perfect content, but if, if the people that you want to target do not know about it, then it's, it's as if nothing ever happened. So it's always time on the attraction side. That's a very manual time. It's, you got to be organized just like you do on the CRM side of like your own clients. And at the same time, People say what they want to do well, but then when you actually are making them whole accountable and you're trying to track numbers, uh, it's easy to say you want to do well, but it's difficult to like show up every day and put those numbers on the board every day. Now, some people will do it. Some people may do it sometimes. Some people may do it occasionally. Some people may not do it at all. Time will tell. And it's important for me to be like, how do I prioritize my own time of like, trying to help those people that are putting in the time versus, all right, these people are not really committing either. They stay on, but they don't have a, the same level of attention as the others, or they, they have to leave the team. Yeah. So essentially you, you gauge when they come on, Hey, this person's giving me a hundred percent. Therefore I give them a hundred percent. This person's giving me 25. I give them 25. Yeah. And it's all trackable, right? Like we can put different point systems of like, what is the daily activity? Like what, what does my day look like and how do I achieve these goals? All right, let's make it a point system. All right, let's see. Every week we'll review. Did you hit those goals and where are you at? It'll be very obvious within a week, right? And But the other side of it is things change. Like life happens. You know, I have some pretty good agents and then some terrible life situation happened and now there's, it's over. Yeah. So you may have the superstar in a week, but... Who knows? Something might happen and then that's gone. So you got to, it's always ongoing, right? It's always, recruiting is always ongoing. The attraction is always ongoing. The training is always ongoing. The grind never stops. Yeah. Now that you, I mean, you've had such success as a producer, you describe the team building as hellish. Does it make you want to keep going to to solve that problem, to, to show yourself you could do it? Or does it kind of make you lean towards, maybe I should just, scale up my admin team and do a million transactions myself. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, you, you don't want to flip flop it because the whole structure is different, right? Like you, that's not what you want to do. That'll be like, just like chasing a shiny object. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of understand. And I have to put it in the perspective, like it just takes time and I'm willing to commit a, a number of months, years for this. So you got to have that like game plan. And things are like like anything. Things are always up and down, right? I mean, real estate wasn't a straight up in the last eight months for anybody, 
I mean, if it was, then congratulations to those markets. But for most markets, there's no, it's impossible. The numbers are very clear. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not, it's, uh, if you're doing well, that means you're doing significantly better proportional wise than everyone else. But uh, overall, the sectors are not, it's not been good. So that will continue to happen, but there's also no shortage of things to do. So I, I take it as a challenge. I think it's an opportunity. It's uh, there's always pros and cons with all, both of them. At this stage with where I'm at, I'm like, all right, let's try to make this work. Yeah. Because you can always fall back to it. Like I can go back to making net a million each year. Not that difficult, at least unless the, uh, things completely blow up. But um, that's not that difficult to kind of fall back to. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. But the growing, it will take time. Like you can't just easily, instantly grow again. Right, you gotta build a foundation again. You gotta build a training. You gotta hold have the whole system. So, so uh, if you if you if I did want to do that, I have to be ready to like basically burn the ship. Like, don't even think about going back to this because it's gonna start the the flywheel all over again. Yeah. So, what are some of the lessons that you've learned through this journey of being a team leader? The biggest lessons would be the mind shift. And this is something I still am not good at and I need to keep getting better at is like, is the leadership aspect of it. So as an individual, you go listen to these podcasts, you go to, um, you listen to no shortage of coaching online. But those are all like individual production. Those are all like individual scripts to practice on. As a team leader, you do that, which is one component of it, which is a training, but you also have to be a leader for your team members, whether it's to for, to find inspiration in tough times, whether it's for guidance, whether it's just time. And that's a very different hat that um, majority of people do not usually wear. And so that's the by far the biggest mental shift is like, how do you be a good team leader? How do you stay cool, which is not easy, um, and and actually spending time to keep improving on that skill set, right? Otherwise, that's not a skill set that you would usually need to spend any time on doing if you're an individual producer. You've had success calling people. You've had success on video. You've had success in these different modalities. Like, have you always been extroverted and it's like no big deal? I'll just put myself out there. What did you have to do to allow yourself to be okay with podcasting, video production, sales, a lot of things that people are scared of. So I wouldn't say, I mean, I'm, I'm an, I'm an extrovert either per se, like you got to find what, where are you strong at? And then just be really good at focusing on that. So what I love to do is like, I love these one-on-ones or I love like small panels, right. Or I like having coffee meetings uh, or I like having, taking out clients or having dinners with like small groups. Like I love that environment because it's more personal. I can kind of connect more. I listen a lot, even though I'm talking a lot for this one, but I listen to a lot. Like those are my quote unquote, my, my strengths. But if you threw me into like a conference and there's like hundreds of people in this ballroom, I'm still today, like don't know even what to do. Like how do you even have any meaningful conversation with this? Right. Some people they can go to it and they almost like command the whole room and everybody knows them. I don't have that skill set. It's very daunting to me, but then the key is like, all right, I learned this a few times. Just don't be in that kind of environment. Then right, you can change your environment. I don't need to go through these master, like mega events where I'm not going to do anything. 
I can just do these one-on-ones, direct message, hey, look, have the conversation separately, go on these separate private shows, right? So the key is understanding, like, where are you strong and where is a complete waste of time? Some of it like that is complete waste of time for me because I'm not going to get anything out of it. No one's going to remember me anyways. And I just spent this time and money going to this thing and that wasn't a benefit. So it's really understanding yourself and then putting yourself in the right opportunities. Where are places you see agents spending their time that you know are is a clear waste of time? Um, I think there's a few ways. <laughs> now, I, I mean, some people are going to hate me for this, but it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like some people, like, for example, I think there's two complete waste of times. One is a broker's tours. I think that's a complete <laughs> yes. waste of time. Yes. So I think that's one of them. And then the other would be like any sort of, Unless I'm there for recruiting, which is different, but unless you're, you have the ability to earn money through recruiting, going to like agents meetups, like I see zero value of that at all. Like at the end of the day, your customer is not going to be there. And to be fair, people will trust you more, not because they see you a lot, but because they know you do a lot of production and you close a lot, right? They'll be like, yeah, I, I know, even though I met him a lot at happy hour, I know he does a lot of business or he shows he has a lot of business. His, his offer is very clean. He's very, it's, it's very, it's, it's very, um, like it, it should be very pleasant to work with. I'd rather work with that person on a deal, right? And for broker tours, unless you're a very hyper local agent, then I, then I would say that's okay. But if you like have clients all over, like I do, like I cover all over the Bay area. So there's no way like. How am I supposed to go on these broker tours unless I'm going all over the Bay Area, right? It doesn't make any sense. So why spend that time? At the same time, like you can kind of see it all online and you're going to schedule it privately for your clients to go see those specific areas. So I think that's also kind of a waste of time, these broker tour caravans, unless, like I said, it's not for everybody, but for me personally, because my business is not that way, unless I'm a super hyper local and this is all I do, then yes, I, I can see the value of that. But if you're pretty expansive like I am, then I think that's a complete waste of time. Totally. Another controversial thing that people talk about, like I got in the business and they're like, your, your relationship to other agents is the most important thing. It's even more important than your clients. True or false? Uh, I think it's false of that. Now you don't want, now to be fair, I don't, I wouldn't say you want to be, you don't want to be like this person that everybody hates. Right. But I don't think you need to be the person that everybody loves either. Right. Like I think there's a difference. One, it'll take time to get people to really, really like you, but they may like you in different ways, whether it's through these events or more importantly for me, like doing pleasant transactions together, right? That's, that's a great way to earn a lot of respect. How do you handle the, the transaction together? So, but the clients are the ones that ultimately do it, right? Like I can be best friends with everybody, but if I have no clients, I'll bring money to the table to buy a home or sell a house and they sure don't want to talk to me either. Right. So at the end of the day, like our goal is to be like matchmakers. And so you only can matchmake if you have a client that is looking to buy or sell. So it's always about spending more time on that. And then good things will typically happen as a byproduct of doing a good job in that transaction. Totally. As the market's been changing the last six or seven months, certain lead sources might perform better than others. What lead sources have you noticed are performing less well, less good, less well, I don't know which one's more English, but uh, than, than before and which ones are now performing better than, than they were? 
the interesting part enough is I don't think really any are doing a whole lot better or worse. I think they're all doing typically worse. Yeah. Um, and so why is that? When you have situations like what we have now, which is a lot more fear and a lot more doubt, you have buyers that require either a lot more handholding. So they're either a lot slower or you have buyers that are a lot more on the fence. So they may be on and off the fence a lot more. So they're all the same as in every buyer will be in th that kind of position. So everything is just a drag. It's just a drag. Now there's different skills and different things to influence to help them educate about the new normal. But when people had this kind of morphine shot over the last two and a half years, um, it's not easy for people to understand this is, a, this is normal or this is the new normal. So I think all of them are, have done worse to be fair. Um, because they're just, it's just things are a lot longer and then the conversion rate, everything across the board should be less in which it is less. With all the production you've done, probably well over a hundred million at this point, how, like, what is your craziest real estate transaction experience that you've had so far? The craziest one is a recent one and I've never dealt with it before. And I'm not really sure if I wouldn't necessarily do anything different because it was kind of out of my control. So we had a very smooth buyer experience. So we bought it, we were buying a place. It was a pretty smooth experience. And, um, but it was on the seller side. The seller had multiple trustees. And one of the trustees is not even in America. They were kind of in the middle of nowhere in France. And what was crazy was we did everything we needed to run. It was super smooth. We got our loan, got appraisal, everything was super smooth. But because it was out of our control on the seller side, apparently when they had to do like their notary signing and things like that, and because it's in France, apparently this person is really far from an embassy. There was like this whole like weird process of like their own notary there. They still don't fully get of how it works when you're in a different country that needs to get something notarized. Right. So that was the wildest one because it delayed us by three weeks to a month. And there are so many things on the line. There was a rate lock because rates were rising. There was certainly the uncertainty. What, is this even possible to be done or not? Right. There's a, there was going to be a lot of like remodeling things to do. So there's a bunch of like contractors that kept having to get moved back and forth. Like now we can't even schedule it. There's no point to schedule it because who knows when this will, when this will be. Um, at that point, if you look at the news, there was uh, like some riots or something in France, some strikes going on too. It's like, what in the world is going on with this country? And so there was a, there's a period that I was like, I don't even know this will get done. And there was a period also on the listing agent. They're not even sure like, is this, can this even happen? Like, will this be a complete disaster on the seller side? Right. So there's just so much mixed emotions back and forth of like, there's a little bit of progress. All right. We're waiting for it. Oh, it came in the mail. And it comes in and it was wrong. It was signed wrong. It had like Mrs. Name, typo. Like, and then you can't even record that, right? So there were just so many ups and downs throughout the whole journey. And that was completely out of the control of my buyer. Like we did, there was nothing we, there's nothing we're doing anymore, right? Like there's nothing on our end. It's purely on their end just to get it on, which is usually a very easy process in, if you're local. It's just very me with a notary. You just sign it and you're good. But when you're dealing with that international, that's in the middle of nowhere, they can't go to an embassy. 
It takes three days to even get to a post office. That was that was a, that was a recent one, but that was a got to go very, out there by horse all the way out to the property. Yeah, we talked about that. I told the listener, like, seriously, you need to fly yourself out there. And he's like, even if I fly out there, it's going to take me forever to even get to this random location in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, if it was me, I would fly out there. If I was a listener, I was like, I private this, jet, I'm just fly out there, just laying yeah, on the property. Yeah, but um, it ended well. They're very happy. I'm very happy for them. Like sometimes. Uh, your best clients are, um, it's always a good story afterwards. That's what I always remind them. I was like, this is going to be a really good story. And it is it's a very funny story. No one will believe it, but it's a very funny story now. What are your goals for your yourself and for your company over the next 12 to 18 months? So I have, I have two goals. So I'm in the Bay Area, right? So number one, I want to keep building my team. So if anyone listens to this podcast, I want to say that kind of the target sweet spot is I found those that do maybe between uh, – they have a different – like a good corporate background. That's kind of one example that I found people that be pretty successful with. Like they worked in a corporate company for a while because there's a, a level of discipline and structure. On the other, other end, um, some agents that have gone through and realized how hard it is. Like they do, let's say, between one to three million production each year. Like those are people that I would like to talk to and, and have a chat with to see if it would be a fit with my core team. So my core team, I have a lot, a lot of things that are involved with me, right? So a combination of leads, combination of me being on your calls of uh, like strategy calls with clients and what to do for situations. We have weekly role play, which is incredibly important right now to like re, reprogram your mind of how you have conversations. And then we have weekly sales meetings and we have like social hours and different things like that. So like that's kind of one component that, that uh, that's specifically then within the Bay Area. And the other component is, I am with a company called at EXP and EXP has a very lucrative, but also very compelling um, setup for agents. Right. And I spoke about this before at the end of the day, we also, we have to be incredibly disciplined in terms of our finances, especially in a down market. Like you asked before, like what are the lease was working? Like that should all be tracked. You should know where you need to be cutting right now. Um, because, you got to stay afloat, right? And you got to be a little bit ahead of things too. Now at EXP, because of its very favorable combination of two things, one is commission structure is, is very attractive with a cap as to how much is paid out a year. That's very, very important. And number two is the aspect of being lean. And so when other agents join you, there is residual for that. And there's a whole structure that's very, very powerful for that. So I, I find that that's a very big opportunity right now because to be fair, a year ago, everybody was busy. Everybody was making money. So when you're thinking about making money, just like look at all these tech companies, you don't need to think about cost. You just think about growth because you can outgrow what you're spending. But look at what those tech companies have done now. They still earn, make no mistake. They're still earning billions of dollars of profit. Like don't, don't feel too bad for them at all. But they're also still cutting a lot of people because they got to trim all that excess fat. And that's the time to have these conversations and to make these changes, right? Like it, it, there are a few people that are still doing extremely well, but majority are should have a much worse year this year than last year, just by pure stats. Transaction so counts are shrinking, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. But your transaction volume is down 40%. Like there's no way you're going to mix it up. That's the thing about that. 40% less buyers, 
40% less listings. That's a lot less because it's both sides, right? That's a lot less than before. So money is now tighter for many reasons, but money is a lot tighter. So then it's about the understanding. Okay, is my brokerage that I give them X amount a year, are they giving me that kind of value? Or can I have, still there's a lot of benefits here, but still a cap structure, what's the delta? Which one is better? Just pure finances and pure from yourself, right? And so the, the good news is, a whole lot more people are open to that these kind of conversations right now than before, right? Totally. Because cost matters again. So, so I would say those are the two kind of components that I have in the immediate 12 to 18 months. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity on both sides, right? I think the agents that are, that are putting in the work, they're getting reskilled, retooled, retrained, ready to fight in this uh, normal market. They will still be okay. I wouldn't say they will kill it, but they'll be okay. They'll do a whole lot better than everyone else. And then certainly on the brokerage side, there's just so much opportunity there because all those cool like comp packages are going to be are gone, and they need to look at the bottom line which which works for them and why. Yeah, hundred percent. Spencer Sue, thank you for coming on, sharing the secrets to seventy million by the time you hit your third year in real estate. I'll live one year, over a million dollars net. Guys, if you're listening, take some notes, whether it's the strategies that you use for video, the content, the marketing, maybe you want to connect them if you're in the Bay Area or somewhere close to become part of his team. Um, so feel free to reach out to him if that's of interest to you. But nonetheless, write down something you learned from this episode, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. This freedom's acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.